Well, good afternoon, Redeemer Church. Those who are here, welcome. Those who are listening online, uh, welcome as well. We're going to be continuing our series in the book of John this afternoon. And personally, I've been so encouraged as we've been moving through the gospel of John and seeing Jesus in his glory week after week. And I've heard a, a, a number of pastors use an analogy of comparing the gospel to a diamond. And so you have a, a, a rare diamond and you look at it, you hold it up. And as the light hits it and, and you turn it from different angles, it's still the same diamond, but you see see it from different angles and you see different facets of, of, of its perfection. So in the same way, the gospel, as, as we hold it up and as we look at the gospel, the good news about Jesus, we see from this angle that we have been made right with God. And, and then we look from this angle and see that we have been made sons and daughters of the King. And we look from this angle uh, and we see that we have new life. And, and, and so we're, we're holding it up and we're seeing it. And as we're turning it, we're treasuring more and more the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And really the same analogy can be used for the person of Christ himself to think of him as the rarest of diamonds. That, that you hold up and, and, and as you turn and see him from different angles, we see him from this angle and see that, that he is God, that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. We turn this angle and we see that he is the savior who has saved us from our sins. We turn again and we see him as creator and judge and, and savior's friend. And, and we're seeing and treasuring and worshiping and loving Jesus as we see him in different lights. And, and so what we've been doing through on our march through the gospel of John is really doing that. We have been seeing Jesus himself, the person of Christ, the son of God from different angles. And the more that we see him, the more we're loving him and we're treasuring him. We're seeing his glory over and over. And so we're gonna keep doing that today as we look at these two healing stories at the end of chapter four and the beginning of chapter five. And we're gonna see see what these stories show us about Jesus. And we're going to be very intentional that we don't let the healings themselves become the main focus because the healings themselves are actually not the main point of these stories. Jesus is. The, the, the point of these stories, the healings are only serving to point us to Jesus and, and to show us new things that he has revealed about himself. And so as we look at our passage today, my main goal is that we don't focus on the wrong things, but that we let these healing stories have their intended effect, which is to point us to the healing God. And, and so to that end, I want us to see three things that I think these two shory, stories show us about Jesus as the God who heals. So let me pray for us as we, as we turn uh, to the stories. Father, thank you um, for this afternoon. Thank you for your church gathered hearing you speak to us through your word. And, and we ask that you would come now and you would be our teacher, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word, namely you. Lord, do it. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing that we see from these two stories that, that is revealed about Jesus and who he is, is that the God who heals is the Messiah. The God who heals is the Messiah. 
And this isn't something new that we're just now seeing in this passage. We've been seeing it uh, continually through the book of John as we've been studying the gospel. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He's the long-expected, hoped-for King of Israel, the Savior of the world. And in our two stories this afternoon, we see Jesus as the Messiah in a few ways. Uh, These stories, um, these two healing stories are actually two of seven signs in the book of John that show us, that prove to us that Jesus is the Messiah. I think we got a list of them on the screen. And so uh, the first sign that we looked at a few weeks ago with the wedding at Cana and Jesus turning the water into wine. And then we have these two healing stories. And then there's a few more. And then the, the last one before the cross is in John chapter 11, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, which points us to the resurrection of Jesus, which is kind of an implied eighth sign and really the the icing on the cake that proves to us that Jesus is the Messiah. He is who he said he is. He's the savior of the world. And so these signs are meant to prove to us that Jesus is the Messiah. So how do our two healing stories, two of those signs, how do they show us that Jesus is the Messiah? Well, in the first story, We have an official that comes to Jesus because his son is sick. So he hears that Jesus is in the region. He comes to find Jesus because his son is sick, even so sick that he's on his his deathbed. And so he comes to Jesus, asks Jesus to heal him. And Jesus says essentially no at first. He rebukes him uh, in kind of a, a similar way that he did to his mother at the wedding at Cana. Jesus rebukes him at first, says no. But then for some reason, when, when Jesus uh, is asked again by the man to heal his son, he says yes. And, and Jesus says to him, go, your son will live. And so the the official, this man is going back down to his home. And as he's going back down to his home, uh, two of his servants come up and they meet him and they say, your son is getting better. His fever broke. He's living. And, and, and the man kind of realizes and puts two and two together to realize that his son started getting better at the exact moment that Jesus spoke and said, go, your son will live. And, and he believes, Uh, he, he believes and his whole household, and they are saved. And if you compare this story, uh, the healing of the official son with the, the water being turned into wine at the wedding of Cana, you see a lot of similarities. Um, so this is, that was the first sign and our text refers to this as the, the second sign. And, and if you study it, you can see some striking similarities. And these similarities clue us into how this sign, this healing is showing us that Jesus is the Messiah, just like we saw at the wedding at Cana. Because in both of the stories, the the wedding at Cana and this healing of the official son, what leads to belief is a manifestation of Jesus's glory, which just means that Jesus's glory was made known and was very clear for all to see. And and now in our our passage, uh, it doesn't actually explicitly say the phrase manifestation of glory, but it's it's clear from John chapter two that every time Jesus is doing one of these signs that his glory is being manifested, his glory is being made known and being seen so clearly. And so we ask how in, in, in this story, how are we seeing Jesus's glory here? 
Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What is this sign showing us about who the Messiah is? Well, here in the healing of the official Son, we are seeing Jesus' glory as the Messiah because he is the one who brings life. Listen to what he says uh, to, to the man in response. He says, go and your son will live. Jesus brings this boy back from the brink of death. He doesn't even go down to see the boy. He speaks the miracle. And the boy instantly starts getting better and has life. So here in healing of the official son, we are seeing that Jesus brings physical life and that is pointing us to the fact that he also brings spiritual life. And this is a huge theme throughout the gospel of John, uh, this theme of life. Uh, Jesus says in John chapter 10 that Satan comes only to and kill and destroy. Uh, But Jesus says, I have come that you may have what? Life and have it abundantly. Uh, in, In John 17, Jesus says that eternal life is really just knowing him. Eternal life is mainly having a relationship with God. And then our, again, we've looked at this almost every week, the purpose statement of John. Uh, John says the reason this is all written so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by, and by believing that we may have life. And so this first healing uh, with the official son is showing us that Jesus, the Messiah, brings life, both physical life and spiritual life. Friends, Jesus is where true life is found. Have you believed in him and are you experiencing this life? Or are you trying to find life in the things of this world that will overpromise and underdeliver every single time? Jesus brings life. Jesus is the Messiah who, who brings life. In the second healing, we see Jesus as the Messiah because we see Jesus doing exactly what was prophesied that the Messiah would come to do. Uh, so hear the story Again, uh, really quickly, uh, Jesus is back in Jerusalem uh, at a place called Bethesda. And then verse three of chapter five, in these lay a multitude of invalids, people with disabilities. They were blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and took up his bed and walked. Jesus here heals a man who had been disabled for 38 years. Can you imagine lifelong disability And in an instant, he's healed. And this was a big deal because this kind of healing was exactly what the prophet Isaiah had prophesied that the Messiah would do. This is the exact kind of healing that he prophesied that the Messiah would do. Look at Isaiah chapter 35, verses five and six. 
Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The Messiah is here. He is healing. He is making lame men jump. Uh, the, the text doesn't say it, but I, I, I like to almost imagine this guy jumping like a deer. You know, that there was maybe a little boogie in it when he said, get up because the Messiah is here. He's doing the healings that were prophesied that he would do. And so Jesus is here. The God who heals is the Messiah. Now we have to be very careful at this point because many people have misread the main point and the teaching of this passage. This passage is not promising that if we simply bring all our diseases and all our sicknesses to Jesus, the Messiah who heals, that he will always heal us in this life. And we know that from scripture, from lots of places, and we also know it from experience. There are times when God in his sovereign care does not heal us physically in this life. We see it even in the passage, the fact that there were many people this pool in Bethesda and Jesus did not heal them all. And we don't know why he didn't heal them all. All we know is that he healed this one man. And so we know that this passage is not teaching that Jesus always heals every time indiscriminately. That's not what this passage is teaching us. What this passage is teaching us is that Jesus, the Messiah, the King has come and he is healing and he is bringing the beginning of his kingdom. And rather than teaching that Jesus will always bring full physical healing in this life, this passage is actually pointing us forward to a day when Jesus's kingdom will be fully realized. Revelation 21, four, when it says that, that we will be with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. There'll be no more, no more mourning, no more crying. There'll be no more pain because the old things are passing away. And Jesus, our King, Messiah, will be on his throne saying, behold, I am making all things new. And so this passage is, is pointing us forward ultimately that Messiah is here bringing a kingdom that will someday lead to those who know him being healed from all sicknesses and diseases. So we want to make sure that we don't miss the point of this passage, brothers and sisters. Jesus, the Messiah is real and he is here and he really heals. Hear me say that. Jesus really heals today. And we are right to come to God with our physical sicknesses, our physical diseases, and bring them to him as the God who heals and ask him for mercy, especially in the middle of a pandemic, to bring these things to God and say, God, you are the one who heals. Lord, do it. That is a good and right thing for us to do, to bring those requests to our God who heals. We want to believe God for all of the ways that he can heal us. He can heal us um, through doctors, through medicine, through treatment, miraculously. He can do it all and it's all to his glory. Friends, are we asking God for healings? 
We don't want to not ask him out of fear or doubt that maybe he would say no. We don't want to avoid asking. We want to confidently come and ask our God to heal. But at the same time, we want to hold intention the, the truth that our ultimate hope is not in any physical healings. Our ultimate hope is in the God who heals. Uh, our ultimate hope is in Jesus. He didn't promise us full healing in this life, uh, but there will be a day when we have, those who know him have resurrected bodies and all pain and sickness is gone and, and we will worship our king in fullness as we live with him forevermore. And so we wanna make sure that we, yes, ask for healings and confidence, but we don't put our hope in those. We put our hope in the God who heals, that he is sovereign and, and that someday he will do it. Um, and so we have to keep these two truths in tension. And uh, I think many of us um, around Redeemer Church ha have been encouraged as we have seen keeping these two tensions modeled by those in our midst. I mean, we, we think about uh, Pastor Dave and his family and, and Pastor Dave's physical pain over these years. And, and, and we have been so encouraged to watch this family hold in tension these two truths that yes, we will ask for healing and we will believe it and, and we will seek treatment. But at the same time, you see them fighting to keep their hope in Jesus, fighting to keep their hope in what's to come. And, and the Furman family are one of many in our midst that if you look around, we are seeing our brothers and sisters in, in hard, uh, hard circumstances in the midst of physical pain and suffering, and they're holding these two truths in tension and honoring God. They're believing and they're trusting and putting their hope in Jesus. So, so we want to live that way. Oh, may it be that we hold these truths in right tension in a way that honors God. So again, in, here in our passage, John is showing us that Jesus uh, is the, the Messiah. He is the God who heals. He's showing us more and more angles uh, of who Jesus is, that this is the Messiah who is prophesied about. This is the Messiah who can tell us any, everything we ever did. This is the Messiah who is the savior of the world. This is the Messiah who brings life. This is the Messiah who makes lame men walk. This Messiah is Jesus, the Son of God. So that's our first point that we see from this passage that Jesus, the God who heals, is the Messiah. Our second point that we see is that the God who heals is personal. The God who heals is personal. This is another theme that we have been seeing throughout the gospel of John so far. Jesus sees and knows specific people and he pursues them. Uh, Jesus saw Nathanael under the fig tree before he had even met Nathanael. He saw him and knew him. Uh, Jesus knew what was in the hearts of the people at Jerusalem in the temple. And because of what was in their hearts, he did not entrust himself to them. He saw Nicodemus, saw was, what was in Nicodemus's heart and told him that he needed to be born again. He saw the Samaritan woman at the well and told her all that she ever did. Jesus throughout the book of John is seeing and knowing and 
and pursuing specific people because he's a personal God. And we see this in both healing stories. With the official son, when the official first asks him to heal his son, he gives somewhat of a standoff-ish answer, kind of like we said, the, he, he answered his mother in the, at the wedding at Cana, uh, verses 47 through 50. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his sons, for he was at the point of death. Heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. So he, he denies the man's request at first. And this served as a rebuke because the Jews in that area had been asking Jesus to do things with wrong motives. They had been trying to see signs and wonders. And, and so Jesus gives this rebuke, but then listen to what Jesus says to the man after he initially desi- uh, uh, denies his request. And then the man asks again, listen to what the man says. Verse 49, sir, come down before my child dies. Can you hear the desperation in his voice. He, he doesn't say anything about signs. He doesn't care about signs at all. He is just desperate that his son would live and his son is sick and he doesn't know who else to go to. And so he is begging Jesus and Jesus sees his heart. He knows his heart and he says, go, your son will live. He saw the man in his desperation And what I love about Jesus, the personal God, is that he didn't just heal this man, but he healed his whole, or he didn't just save this man, but he saved this whole man's household. Uh, Verse 53, the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. Jesus saves this man and his whole house, including the son that he had just healed. And so we see how personal Jesus is. He sees us in our desperation. He knows our hearts. And, and, and not only does he see us, but he sees our whole families. Many of us here have unbelieving family members and we need to be reminded that God sees them. He sees them. Are we regularly praying that God would use our belief to lead to the belief of our family? God would love to answer that prayer. Um, a second healing, we, we continue to see that Jesus is how personal he is uh, in the healing of the, the disabled man in several respects. Jesus passes by uh, the pool at Bethesda and it says that there were a multitude of disabled people uh, sitting by the pool that day and Jesus could have chosen any of them or none of them. He, he, he didn't have to choose any of them. This disabled man didn't even ask Jesus. Jesus asked him Do you want to be healed? And you can hear the loneliness in the man's voice when he answers. Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I am going, another steps down before me. 
you can hear the loneliness in his voice. Anyone who has ever walked through chronic pain or chronic sickness or illness knows that there are crippling times of loneliness that you walk through. 38 years for this man. Essentially, he has a a lifelong disability and Jesus sees him in his loneliness and he simply says to him so gently, get up, take up your bed and walk. He sees the man in his loneliness. Redeemer Church, our God is a personal God who sees us in our loneliness. Our God is no detached God who is off running the universe and is not aware of the sufferings and the physical sickness that we are going through down here. He sees it all and he is so near. Friends, are there any of us here this afternoon who are struggling with loneliness in the midst of physical pain and suffering. God sees you in that. Hear that, receive that, that our God, the personal God sees you. Chances are, if you're not personally struggling with loneliness from, from uh, sickness or, or illness, you probably have a close friend or family member or church member who, who is. And, and uh, is there, we need to ask ourselves is, if there is someone in our life around us that might be lonely because sometimes the way that the personal God pursues us is through other people. And so Redeemer Church, we need to be looking around to see who among us potentially is lonely. Our personal God wants to pursue them. I love what happens next in the story. Uh, the Jews start to question the, the man about who healed him. How did it go down? Uh, uh, how, how did you get healed? Who was it? And, and we'll deal with uh, this, this part a little bit more next week because the idea of healing on the Sabbath comes to the forefront here. And, and, and what does it mean that Jesus says, my father is working until now and I am working. And, and so why, why is that a big deal? And why does that make the Jews so mad? And, and we'll deal with that next week. But, but Jesus, um, the man, as he answers the Jews, basically says, I have no idea <laughs> uh, who, who, who he is. And then afterwards, he's in the temple. He's walking through the temple. He's in a crowd of people. And, and I love what verse 14 says. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus ministers to him, he heals him, and then Jesus pursues him and goes after him to find him in a crowd of people. Jesus pursues him, uh, Jesus ministers to him and then continues to pursue him and minister to him. Uh, and, And so we see in that our personal God. I love our personal God because he does not stop pursuing us. Every believer in this room Every person who would call themselves a Christian has that story of God pursuing us. It is a good discipline, friends, for us to regularly take time to think and reflect about how God has pursued us. When is the last time that we thought long and hard about how God pursued and saved us? 
For many of us, uh, yeah, those among us who are hurting, it, it is a healing thing to take time to remember God's faithfulness. Uh, he is the God who heals and, and he is personal. And, and if you're here listening this afternoon or, or you're listening online and you would not call yourself a Christian, I want you to know uh, that God is pursuing you because it is no accident that you are listening in today. It is no accident that you are listening to us sing to Jesus and pray to Jesus and talk about Jesus. God is, is after you. And, and he is offering to you a relationship. Um, by God's grace, you are here and he is pursuing you. He wants a relationship with you. And Jesus has done everything necessary for you to have a relationship with him. Jesus lived the perfect life that we could not live, no way. And he died the sacrificial death that we deserve to die, taking our sin and our punishment. And not, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead so that in him we could have new life. Jesus has done everything necessary for you to have a relationship with him. He wants to see you come to him because he is a personal God. Will you receive the salvation that he is offering by faith? So the second point is that the God who heals is personal. And then our, our last point that we see from this passage is that the God who heals can cure the worst disease. The God who heals can cure the worst disease. This last point we see mainly in the second story, the second healing story, but there's actually a tie-in with the first story that we'll see uh, at the end. And so we just saw that Jesus heals this disabled man in John chapter five, and he comes back and he finds him in the temple and he says to him, to him uh, something very interesting. We just read verse 14, let's read it again and hear what Jesus says to this man after he finds him. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. What does Jesus mean when he says to this man, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you? This is a very, very strong warning from Jesus. Jesus is warning the man about the effects of his sin and telling him that the effects of his sin are way, way, way worse than any physical sickness that he might experience. Jesus is saying to this man, you, you were lame for 38 years. You were disabled for 38 years living in pain and loneliness. But as absolutely awful and terrible as that was, it doesn't compare to how terrible it would be if you walked away from this and continued treasuring sin in your life and sin's effects played out in your life and destroyed your life. He's saying to this man, it would be a tragedy if you walked away from being physically healed to continue embracing sin in your life. 
and let it, disease, let it destroy your life. Friends, Jesus here is telling us that sin is a disease worse than any physical suffering that we could ever imagine. Things like anger and pride and selfishness and greed and jealousy and lust and laziness and on and on. Sin has the power to destroy our lives, to destroy all the good things in our lives. And, and even worse than that, not only does sin have the power to destroy our lives, lives on this earth, but unless sin is repented of, it will eventually lead to spiritual and eternal suffering. Nothing could be worse than to experience spiritual death, separation from God for all eternity. And so Jesus is, this is a strong warning from Jesus here. But at the same time, you, you hear also and you think about how this is a merciful thing. This is a merciful thing that Jesus is saying to this man. Jesus doesn't want this man to experience miraculous physical healing and then walk away only to continue down the road of spiritual sickness and death. Again, that would be a tragedy. And so friends, maybe you're here this afternoon or, or maybe you're listening on life and miraculous healing by God has been a part of your story. Uh, we should rejoice in that and, and we should also hear this warning to us. If, if, if your part of your story is that you have experienced miraculous physical healing for either yourself or someone close to you, um, we need to hear this warning that our experience with God doesn't stop there. Because we should not only come to him for our physical healing, but we should come to him for our spiritual healing. And it would be a tragedy if your story stopped at the physical healing. Because Jesus is mercifully warning us against the effects of sin. So this is a merciful warning. And, and just like we've seen with the other parts of these healing uh, stories, ultimately this is pointing us to Jesus himself. Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And, and in the gospel of John, he is on a march to the cross where he will suffer and die on the cross and he will absorb and experience and suffer all the wrath of God that we deserve because of our sin in our place. And he will die, but he will not stay dead. He will raise from the dead again so that we can have new life in him. Friends, Jesus is the only antidote to the disease of sin. On the cross, he has made full payment, vaccine, antidote, done to the disease of sin. Paid in full. And he offers that to us. He is the only one that can cure us. And so what do we do? Anything to earn it? There is nothing that we can do to earn it. All we do is receive it. All we do is believe on him and be saved just like the official and his whole household. Jesus is the Physically, not physically, but also spiritually. Peter 2, 22 and 25 says that Jesus in his uh, body, he bore our sins on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. So the God who heals can cure us from the worst disease. Have you come to Jesus to be healed from your sin? And, 
and Christian, we should also ask ourselves, are we regularly praying against sin in our life, against the disease of sin in our life and reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel and fighting that sin? Are, are we regularly doing that or are we clinging to some sin? Believers, we, we should heed this morning, uh, th- this warning. We might be saved, but if we are clinging to sin in our lives, it will only bring destruction. As much as we pray for physical healing from the God who heals, and we should, as much as we pray for physical healing from the God who heals, we should regularly pray for spiritual healing as well. We should regularly reapply the gospel to our lives and we should pray for one another. James 5, 16 says that confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that what? You may be healed. And so uh, we, we have to heed this warning from Jesus. He will answer those kinds of prayers as we seek to be healed from the disease of sin. The God who heals can cure us from the worst disease. So the God who heals is the Messiah. The God who heals is personal. And the God who heals can cure us from the worst disease. Let me pray. Father, we come to you this afternoon rejoicing in you as the God who heals. You are the Messiah, you are personal, and you can cure us from all our sin. Thank you, Jesus, that you give us life. Thank you, Jesus, that you pursue us. Thank you, Jesus, that you bore our sins in your body on that tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Thank you, Jesus, that by your sins, we have been healed. By your wounds, we have been healed. Father, we ask for spiritual and physical healing. We ask for physical healing in this life. We believe that you have all power over physical sickness and death and that in an instant you can say the word and heal any disease. Father, you know that there are many of us and many who are hurting and suffering from from physical disease and we need physical healing. Have mercy, Father. Bring healing. Bring life. Do it through doctors and nurses and medicine and treatment and do it miraculously. And all the while, give us grace to put our ultimate hope not in physical healing, but in Jesus, our King. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.